0: Chapters thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen of the story of Joan of Arc by Andrew Lang. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirteen How the Voices Prophesied Evil. The end of the year of the maid was at hand. She had often said that she would last but a year, or a little more, counting from May fourteen twenty nine. Perhaps you remember that the king had made a truce with the Burgundians, an useless truce, for the Burgundians went on fighting, not under their own flag, but under the leopards of England. The king, as usual, was loitering about, doing nothing. Joan heard, in spring 1430, that three or four hundred English were crossing the Isle of France, which is not a real island, but a district of that name. She was then at Lagny, on the river Marne, not far from Paris. So she rode out from Lagny to meet them, with a gentleman whom the French called quenedi Can you guess what quenedi means? He was Sir Hugh Kennedy, of the great Kennedy clan in Galloway and Ayrshire. He had fought at the Battle of the Herrings and at Orléans, and he made a great deal of money in France, so that when he went back to Scotland he was called... Hugh, come with the penny. When Joan, with her French and Scots, came in sight of the enemy, the English drew themselves up on foot along the side of a hedge, and Joan and the rest charged them, some on foot, some on horse, and there was hard fighting, for the numbers were about equal. But at last all the English were killed or taken prisoners. There was also taken a robber knight, Franquet d'Arras, who was tried for his crimes and put to death, and the English party among the French thought it very wicked in Joan to allow the rogue to be punished. In Easter week, Joan was at Melun one day, examining the ditch round the walls to see that it was in good order. Then suddenly the voices of St. Catherine and St. Margaret spoke to her, and said that she should be taken prisoner before midsummer day. And thus it needs must be and that she was to be resigned to this, and God would help her. Often after this terrible day the voices made the same prophecy, but they would never tell her the time and the hour. She prayed that she might die in that hour, for the English had often threatened her that they would burn her as a witch if they caught her. Often she asked the voices to warn her of the hour of her capture, for she would not have gone into battle on that day. But they would not tell her, and after that she did what the captains of her party thought best, and it seems that as to where or when she was to fight she had no advice from the voices. But she fought on as bravely as ever, and this was the bravest thing that ever was done by any one, for it was not as if the voices had said that she should be killed in battle, of which she had no fear. But they said she was to be captured, and she knew that meant she was to be burned alive nobody but joan would have gone on risking herself every day not to danger of war which is the duty of every soldier but to the death by fire if any one says that the voices were only her fancy and her fear taking a fanciful shape we must reply that whatever they really were she believed all that they said and thought that they were the voices of her sisters the saints thus the end of joan was the most glorious thing in her glorious life for many could be brave enough when the saints prophesied victory but only she could give her body to be burned for her country end of chapter thirteen chapter fourteen how the maid was taken we have heard how the town of Compiegne came over to joan and the king after the coronation at rheims the city had often been taken and retaken and held by both sides but now they made up their minds that come what might they would be true to france and now in may the english and burgundians besieged Compiegne with a very large army joan who was at Lagny, heard of this and she made up her mind to help the good and loyal town or perish with it. She first tried to cut the roads that the Duke of Burgundy used for his soldiers and supplies of food, but she failed to take Soissons and Pont-Levesque, and so shut the Duke off from his bridges over the rivers. So she rode into Compagne under cloud of night with her brother Pierre and two or three hundred men. This was before dawn on May 23rd. The town of Compiègne is on the left bank of the river Oise. Behind the town was a forest through which Joan rode and got into the town to the great joy of the people. From Compiègne to the right bank of the Oise, where the English and Burgundians had their camps, there was a long bridge, fortified, that led to a great level meadow about a mile broad. In wet weather, the meadow was often under water from the flooded river so a causeway, or raised road, was built across it, high and dry. At the end of the causeway, farthest from Compiegne, was the village of Marny, with the steeple of its church, and here a part of the Burgundian army was encamped. Two miles and a half farther on was the village of Clairoy, where lay another part of the Burgundian force. About a mile and a half to the left of the causeway was the village of Venette, which was held by the english and about three miles off was Coudun, where the duke of burgundy himself had his quarters there were very large forces in front and on the side of the only road by which joan could get at them with her own men only three hundred probably and any of the townspeople who liked to follow her on foot with clubs and scythes and such weapons Thus it was really a very rash thing of Joan to lead so few men by such a narrow road to attack the nearest Burgundians, those at Marny, at the end of the causeway. The other Burgundians farther off, and the English from Vinette quite near and on Joan's left flank, would certainly come up to attack her and help their friends at Marny. She would be surrounded on all sides and cut off for the garrison of Compiegne stayed in the town under their general, de Flavie, who was a great ruffian, but a brave man and loyal to France. Why Joan, about five o'clock in the evening on May twenty-third, rode out with her little force, crossed the bridge, galloped down the causeway, and rode through and through the Burgundians at Marny, we do not know. Her voices seem to have ceased to give her advice, "'only saying that she would certainly be captured. "'Perhaps she only meant to take Marnie, "'though now it is not easy to understand "'how she expected to hold it "'when the whole Burgundian and English armies "'came up to recover it, as they would certainly do. "'If she aimed at more, "'her charge was very brave but very ill-judged. "'Joan said that her voices did not tell her "'to make her desperate sally. "'It was her own idea.' Nearly seventy years afterwards, two very old men said that when they were young at Compiègne, they heard Joan tell a crowd of children before she rode out that, I am betrayed and soon will be delivered to death. Pray God for me, for I shall never again be able to help France and the king. One of the men was ninety-eight, so he would be quite twenty-eight when he heard Joan say this, if he really did hear her but long before men are ninety-eight or even eighty-six like the other man they are apt to remember things that never happened but joan may have told children of whom she was very fond that she knew she was soon to be taken her enemies declared that she said she would take the duke of burgundy himself but as he was several miles away in the middle of a large army while she had only three hundred of her own men this cannot be true Probably she only meant to break up the Burgundians at Marny, and to show that she was there, to encourage the people at Compiegne. Her own account is that she charged the Burgundians at Marny, the nearest village, and drove them twice back to Clairoy, where they were reinforced by the great Burgundian army there, and thrust her back to the middle of the causeway, where she turned again, charged them, and made them retreat. But then the English came up from Vinette, on her flank, and came between her and the bridge of Compiègne, and she leaped her horse off the raised causeway into the meadow, where she was surrounded, and pulled off her horse and taken, though she would not surrender. No doubt she hoped that, as she refused to surrender, she would be killed on the spot. When they cried to her to yield, she said, I have given my faith to another than you, and I will keep my oath to him, meaning our Lord. But she was too valuable to be killed. The captors might either get a great ransom, a king's ransom, or sell her to the English to burn. The French would not pay the ransom, and Jean de Luxembourg, who got possession of her, sold her to the English. The Burgundian historian who was with the Duke AND DID NOT SEE THE BATTLE, SAYS, THE ENGLISH FEARED NOT ANY CAPTAIN NOR ANY CHIEF IN WAR, AS THEY FEARED THE MAID. SHE HAD DONE GREAT DEEDS, PASSING THE NATURE OF WOMAN, SAYS ANOTHER BURGUNDIAN WRITER. SHE REMAINED IN THE REAR OF HER MEN AS THEIR CAPTAIN, AND THE BRAVEST OF ALL, THERE WHERE FORTUNE GRANTED IT FOR THE END OF HER GLORY, AND FOR THAT LAST TIME OF HER BEARING ARMS but indeed her glory never ceased, for in her long, cruel imprisonment and martyrdom she showed more courage than any man-at-arms can display where blows are given and taken. End of chapter 14 Chapter 15 The Captivity of the Maid We might suppose that there was not a rich man in France, or even a poor man, who would not have given what he could, much or little to help to pay the ransom of the maid. Jean de Luxembourg only wanted the money, and as she was a prisoner of war, she might expect to be ransomed like other prisoners. It was the more needful to get the money and buy her freedom, as the priests of the University of Paris, who were on the English side, at once wrote to Jean de Luxembourg and asked him to give Joan up to the Inquisition. TO BE TRIED BY THE LAWS OF THE INQUISITION FOR THE CRIMES OF WITCHCRAFT, IDOLATRY, AND WRONG DOCTRINES ABOUT RELIGION. THE INQUISITOR WAS THE HEAD OF A KIND OF RELIGIOUS COURT, WHICH TRIED PEOPLE FOR NOT HOLDING THE RIGHT BELIEF, OR FOR WITCHCRAFT OR OTHER RELIGIOUS OFFENSES. THE RULES OF THE COURT AND THE WAY OF MANAGING THE TRIALS WERE WHAT WE THINK VERY UNFAIR. But they were not more unfair than the methods used in Scotland after the Reformation. With us, old women were tortured till they confessed that they were witches, and then were burned alive, sometimes seven or eight of them at once, for crimes which nobody could possibly commit. That went on in Scotland till the country was united to England at the beginning of the eighteenth century, and the laws against witchcraft were not abolished till seventeen thirty six. Many of the Presbyterian ministers who were active in hunting for witches and having them put to horrid tortures were very angry that the witchcraft laws were abolished. The Inquisition was better than the ministers and magistrates in one way. If a witch confessed and promised not to do it again, she was not put to death, but kept in prison. In Scotland the people accused of witchcraft had not even this chance which did not help joan as we shall see all this is told here to show that the french were not more stupid and cruel four hundred years ago than we were in scotland two hundred years ago but it was a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the inquisition and therefore the french king and his subjects should have paid joan's ransom at once or rescued her by force of arms but not a coin was paid and not a sword was drawn to ransom or to rescue her the people who advised the king had never liked her and now the king left her to her fate she could have taken a bitter revenge on him if she had chosen to tell tales but she was loyal to the last like montrose to charles the second of course joan was not a witch and was a most religious girl but she did not deny that she had talked with spirits the spirits of the saints and her judges who hated her could say and did say that these spirits were devils in disguise and that therefore she was a witch she always had known that they would do this if they got the chance jean de luxembourg did not hand joan over to the priests at once Probably he was waiting to see if he could not get a better price from her French friends than from her English enemies. The Bishop of Beauvais was Joan's worst enemy. His odious name was Pierre Cochon, and in July he kept pressing the Duke of Burgundy, then still besieging Compagne, to make Jeanne give up the maid. Jeanne kept the maid in a castle called Beaulieu till August, and then sent her to another castle— beaurevoir near cambrai far to the north where it would be more difficult for her friends like dunois and d'alencon to come and rescue her by force which we do not hear that they ever tried to do though perhaps they did the brave zantre was doing a thing that joan longed for even more than her freedom she was taken in fighting to help the town of Compiègne, of which she was very fond and her great grief at Beaulieu and Beaurevoir was that Compagne was likely to be taken by the Burgundians and the English who threatened to put the people to death. All this while Zantré was preparing a small army to deliver Compagne. At Beaurevoir the ladies of the castle were kinsfolk of Jean de Luxembourg. They were good women and very kind to Joan, and they knelt to Jean, weeping and asking him to give her back to her friends. But he wanted his money, like the men who sold Sir William Wallace to the English and the great Montrose to the preachers in Parliament. So Jeanne sold the maid to the English. Joan knew this, and knew what she had to expect. She was allowed to take the air on the flat roof of the great tower at Beaurevoir, which was sixty feet high. She was not thinking so much of herself as of Compiègne. If she could escape, she would try to make her way to Compiègne. "'and help the people to fight for their liberty and their lives. "'But how could she escape? "'She hoped that if she leaped from the top of the tower, "'her saints would bear her up in their arms "'and not let her be hurt by the fall. "'So she asked them if she might leap down. "'But St. Catherine said, "'No, she must not leap. "'God would help her and the people of Compiegne. "'But Joan would not listen this time to the voice.' She said that if the leap was wrong, she would rather trust her soul to the mercy of God than her body to the English. And she must go to Compiegne, for she heard that, when the town was taken, all the people, old and young, were to be put to the sword. Then she leaped, and there she lay. She was not hurt. Not a bone of her was broken, which is an extraordinary thing. But she could not move a limb the people of the castle came and took her back to her prison room she did not know what had happened and for three days she ate nothing then her memory came back to her and to her sorrows why was she not allowed to die saint catherine told her that she had sinned and must confess and ask the divine mercy but she was to go through with her appointed task take no care for thy torment said the voice thence shalt thou come into paradise moreover st catherine promised that Compiegne should be rescued before martinmas that was the last good news and the last happy thing that came to joan in the days of her life for just before martinmas her friend pothon de zentraille rode with his men-at-arms through the forest of Compiegne whilst others of the french attacked the english and burgundians on the farther side of the oise and so the saint kept her promise, and Compiegne was saved. End of chapter 15